Wednesday, January 30th, 2013, episode number 35 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. is episode number 35 of the Football Nation Today podcast, hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer, published every Wednesday right here on footballnation.com. And if you're downloading convenience in the iTunes store, please subscribe to the Football Nation Today podcast. In the iTunes store, if you have yet to do so, we will unveil, when I say we, I mean I, I will unveil my Super Bowl prediction a bit later on in the first dance segment, as I hinted last week on this show, I think it's going to be a blowout this year. I'll tell you which way the blowout will go a bit later on. Of course, the big game being played Sunday in New Orleans, 49ers-Ravens. I'm one of these people who thinks the Super Bowl should be in either New Orleans or Miami every year. Just alternate between the two cities. I know the big game's going to be in the Big Apple next season, but that doesn't excite me. It's going to be, what, 30 degrees freezing out? Come on, New Orleans-Miami every other year. Let's be done with it. It's perfect down there in those places. Um, but also today, a lot of other news to sift through besides the Super Bowl pack show. Ray Lewis may have taken performance-enhancing drugs to recover quickly from his triceps injury, to be exact, dear antler velvet abstract. And yet people are surprised by this. What? Yeah. I'm shocked, too. We'll talk about that in the first down segment. Second down segment, talking about the biggest off-field NFL story of the week. The other big topic today, besides the Super Bowl and Ray Lewis, Bernard Pollard, Lewis's teammate, Raven Safety, said this week he doesn't think the NFL will be around in 30 years due to all the rule changes and concussions. President Obama said last week in an interview that if he had a son, he'd have to think long and hard before letting him play football. What is the future? of this great game. What is the future of the NFL? We'll talk about that in the second down segment. Third down segment, it's the big up slow down segment. I debate whether or not the Pro Bowl should remain intact, or whether it should be dramatically changed. Talking about two major decisions that two teams in the AFC East have to make. Patriots with Wes Welker, Jets with Terrell Rivas. And then the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. Super Bowl week is chock full of storylines. A lot of interesting storylines out there. One storyline, though, that is not interesting is the Harborough Bowl. Whatever you dorks are calling it. Yes, Jim and John Harbaugh are brothers. We get it. Now stop. It's Football Nation Today, episode number 35. My name is Alex Reamer. We'll, we will be right back. So, as I was saying in the opening, Sports Illustrated reported yesterday, Tuesday, that Ray Lewis used performance-enhancing drugs, dear antler velvet abstract, to be exact, to recover from the triceps injury that he suffered in October of this year. Now, the Sports with Alternative to Steroids company owner, Mitch Ross, told Sports Illustrated that Lewis had approached him about acquiring these performance-enhancing drugs, deer, antler, velvet, abstract. Now, just look at the facts of this case. You know, Ray Lewis suffered his triceps injury in the middle of October. It took him a mere 11 weeks, 11, 
to recover from this injury. And when Ray Lewis returned to the field, it was as if he didn't miss a beat. You really didn't think something was up? I mean, people were really surprised at this? I mean, do we really think Ray Lewis, at 37, healed in record time from a triceps injury, while looking like Hercules in the process, and did it all what? By eating his vitamins, and going to bed, and getting a good sleep at night? I mean, really? We're surprised at this? We're surprised that Ray Lewis, in his final NFL season, would look for a way to recover quickly from a triceps injury? Come on, people. I mean, don't tell me. You didn't think Lance Armstrong juiced either, right? I mean, come on. Now, another big story came out this week about Major League Baseball and performance-dancing drug use there. Um, the Balco of the East Coast down there in Miami. A lot of baseball players implicated with this uh, Dr. Anthony Bosch, Alex Rodriguez, Nationals pitcher Gio Gonzalez, Nelson Cruz, Bartolo Colon, Nelkin Cabrera, and others implicated here receiving performance-enhancing drugs and HGH from Dr. Bosch. And people are surprised at this, too. You know, people are shocked. Well, wait a minute. I thought A-Rod said when it came out that he tested positive in spring training of 2003. I thought A-Rod said that he only used steroids for a three-year period. I mean, and you really believe that? I mean, you really thought that Alex Rodriguez just randomly decided to start using steroids from 2001 through 2003 when he was with the Rangers and then automatically stopped using steroids when he put on the pinstripes in 2004? Come on, people! If it wasn't obvious to you before, it should be blatantly obvious to you now. Athletes cheat. The incentive will always be there. And the medicine will always be a step ahead of the testing. Now, Major League Baseball, for example, has taken a lot of steps to uh, taking a lot of steps to combat steroid use in their sport, and they should be commended for that. You know, they implemented random HGH testing this offseason. That's a good start. But there will be loopholes around that. The science will find a way. The science will always find a way in today's day and age of medicine to be a step ahead of the drug testing. More often than not, elite athletes in today's day and age of sport are using something. Start with the best and then work your way down with suspicion. We are in the steroids era in all of sports. So I don't know why there was a soul who follows the NFL, or who has a brain, never mind following the NFL, who was surprised that Ray Lewis would look for an edge to recover quickly from his triceps injury in his final NFL season. I mean, same thing with Terrell Suggs, recovered awfully quickly from that injury. You think he did it all cleanly? I mean, this is an this is, it's unbelievable to me. That people are surprised by this story. It's unbelievable this really had to come out and be this big revelation. You didn't think something was up when Ray Lewis at 37 recovered from a severe triceps injury in a mere 11 weeks and came back looking like Hercules and didn't miss a beat when he returned to the field? You didn't think something was up there? Come on, people. Most of these guys are using. And they've been using for a long time. And they'll continue to use. If you want to stand your moral high ground, 
do something else besides follow sports. Because the intent to cheat, the intent to get an advantage, has always been out there from the beginning of time. To take it back to Major League Baseball, Gaylord Perry had the spitball. You know, guys used to take greenies. Those guys cheated too. But now the science is better than it ever has been before. So now if you have the intent to cheat, you can take steroids. You can take human growth hormone. You can take deer antler velvet abstract, whatever that is. You want to recover quickly from a triceps injury. These guys are chemists, or at least they employ chemists. They know exactly what is going into their bodies. Their bodies are their business. That's the, that's the moneymaker. You know, that's the breadwinner. The, these athletes' bodies. They know how to best take care of themselves. Don't think twice. Never believe an athlete when he says, Oh, I don't know I was take what I was putting into my body. Yeah, you knew exactly what you were putting into your body. You knew everything. These athletes cheat. Newsflash. And you know what? I don't think the NFL is that desperate to stop them. I really don't. Because it's a better game when these guys are on stuff. You know, if Ray Lewis was still at the triceps injury, oh, where would we be this week without Ray Lewis at the podium spreading the gospel or whatever he does up there? This isn't a story. And it doesn't make me, make me think any less of Ray Lewis. doesn't. Because I knew it. Because I have a brain. Common sense. I said, huh, this guy's 37. Took him a mere 11 weeks to recover from this nasty triceps injury. Looks like Hercules. Looks like an action fig figure out there. A superhero-like figure. Playing great football. Ain't it all. By any milk and cookies? Come on. I don't know anyone was surprised by the story. And of course Ray denied it. What do you want him to say? But the denial should mean nothing. Empty words. Now, the big picture topic here I want to get to. Far more interesting topics than talking about steroid use in sports. That's old, 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 old news. Big picture topic is whenever we... Our in Super Bowl week, we look at the two teams, this year, 49ers-Ravens, and we try to devise these grand proclamations about the teams, and we say, oh, it's the beginning of, you know, Team X's dynasty, or Team Y's time has come. They're going to run the table for the next five years, and we always like to make these big proclamations and declarations about the state of each franchise, and how, you know, the, 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 the seeds of a dynasty have been planted, because we love to talk about dynasties. Um, I'm going to say for the Ravens, though, that's not the case. This is the Ravens' last run to me. You know, I still think the AFC next season will be wide open. This is definitely Ray Lewis's last game as a Raven. This may very well be Ed Reed's last game as a Raven because he's a free agent at the end of the season. It may very well be Danelle Ellerby and Paul Kruger's last games in Baltimore as well. Terrell Suggs and Haloti Nada aren't getting any younger, nor are they getting healthier. The Ravens are going to be a very different team next season. Next season, they'll be read by a very rich Joe Flacco instead of their defense. It will be up to Flacco to lead next season. 
and he's played terrifically this postseason. Eight touchdowns to zero interceptions. And Flacco historically has played well relative to what he does in the regular season, in the postseason. But I'm still not sure if Flacco is good enough to get you through an entire 16-game slate. I don't know if Flacco is that guy. I don't know if he'll ever be that guy. They'll try to make him the guy. And it will be Flacco's team next season with a new max contract. The Ravens will be a more offense-oriented team next season. There is no doubt about it. You could already argue they tried to become that this season, implementing their hurry-up offense as early as training camp. But I think it's reasonable to expect the Ravens to regress next year because it's clear. The hallmark of the Ravens team is still their defense. And their defense is going to look very different next season, especially from a leadership perspective with Ray Lewis and possibly Ed Reed both moving on. So I think the AFC is completely wide open next year. I think it's fair actually to expect a Ravens regression. This is like, this is the last run to me for that group. That's now been to three AFC title games under John Harbaugh. The 49ers, though, and of course, is their first Super Bowl. The 49ers, though, are a bit of a different story out there in the NFC. You want to talk dynasty? I'll entertain the talk with San Francisco. Safety Deshaun Goldson is a free agent, and Justin Smith is 33. But outside of that, this roster isn't only intact. They're a young man. Real young. Alden Smith is only 23. Patrick Wills is 28. Navarro Bowman is 24. They have the best offensive line in football with Joe Staley and those guys, and they're all signed up for the long term. Frank Gore is 29. Has a lot of miles on him, but still right in the heart of his career. And a guy like Michael James made a big impact as well this season. Uh, Michael Crabtree, who's come on with Kaepernick as quarterback, is only 25. Vernon Davis is 28. Colin Kaepernick, again, only 25. So you want to talk dynasty, I'll entertain it with the 49ers. And I'll entertain it with that coach, Jim Harbaugh. You know, I go back to when he made the switch midseason. Colin Kaepernick for Alex Smith. And I trusted him. Because it came down to my trust in Jim Harbaugh and his ability to evaluate talent. And he has certainly been proven to be right here. You can win with Alex Smith. The 49ers proved that last season when they went to the NFC Championship game. Or the, or the, uh, but with Alex Smith, can't get past that. That was the ceiling with him. Kaepernick, the ceiling is the Super Bowl and beyond, as we're seeing this season. As far as the Super Bowl prediction goes, the two teams play similar styles of defense, both physical, smash-mouth, hard-hitting defenses, throwback defenses, and I love to see it. The difference is, and this is no small difference, the 49ers are younger and faster than the Ravens are. I think this will be a relatively close game in the first half. Neither team is going to get much going offensively. I think it's going to be a real in-the-trenches defensive battle through the first two quarters. Ray Lewis will come up all jacked up with emotion and, uh, you know, his dear antler velvet abstract. Terrell Suggs, Lodinata, all those guys, they'll be ready to go. It'll be a close game in the first half. But in the second half, after the halftime adjustments, after the momentum has shifted, died down, after the lengthy halftime, remember in the Super Bowl, Bill Belichick talks about this all the time here at the Patriots, 
with a lengthy halftime and have to really adjust yourself and pace yourself. I think the 49ers will come out in the second half more ready to play than the Ravens will. I don't think the Ravens will ultimately have an answer for Vernon Davis. I mean, Ray Lewis never leaves the field. And if you're, uh, you know, Greg Roman, 49ers offensive coordinator, you're licking your chops. That's fantastic news for you. Uh, because Ray Lewis, for all that he brings the Ravens, and I still think he brings them a lot in terms of leadership and intangibles on the field, and I think that counts for something. We've seen it this postseason. But he can't cover. Those linebackers are old and they're slow. And I don't think the Ravens will have an answer for Vernon Davis up the middle of the field. I don't think they'll be able to control Colin Kaepernick, who will move outside of the pocket and expand the field. Tom Brady, two weeks ago in the AFC title game, couldn't outrun Haloti Nada when the pocket collapsed. Uh, Kaepernick will certainly be able to outrun Haloti Nada and anyone else who the Ravens defense throws at them. So I think in the second half, the game opens up a little bit. Remember, it's on turf. So, quickness is going to be a big factor here. And the 49ers on offense certainly are much quicker than the Ravens are on defense. As far as what the Niners have to do defensively, to me the biggest key is generating pressure on Flacco. The Broncos failed to do it as both Elvis Dumerville and Von Miller were invisible in the divisional round game. And the Patriots failed to do it in the AFC Championship game. They only got one sack on Flacco with Chandler Jones out due to injury. And if you allow Joe Flacco to stay in the pocket and observe the field, he's going to make you pay because he throws a pretty deep ball. And the 49ers, like the Ravens, are a secondary that's built on safety play, not necessarily corner play. You know, Ravens have Ed Reed and Bernard Pollard. 49ers have Deshaun Goldson, Dante Whitner. Both teams have safeties that carry the load in the secondary, not necessarily the cornerback. So if the 49ers can't get pressure on Flacco... He could have some success throwing the ball down the field. But I think they'll get pressure on him. You know, Alden Smith has kind of been a no-show thus far this postseason. But between Alden Smith, Justin Smith, Willis, Ahmad Brooks, Bowman, and even a guy like Whitner or Goldson from safety coming up and blitzing every once in a while, the 49ers will be able to do it. They'll be able to generate consistent pressure on Flacco. They'll be able to make him uncomfortable, move him outside the pocket. And I still don't think Joe Flacco will be able to face that pressure well. As I said, it'll be a fast game on turf. The 49ers are more fit to play that style of game, both on offense and defense. And I think this winds up being a multi-possession game. And at the end of the day, when the buzzer sounds at the end of the fourth quarter, a big San Francisco victory. But... Before we go to the second down segment, I don't want to take anything away from the Ravens. I didn't think they would be here. Now that they were toast with the way they played throughout most of the regular season. And they proved me wrong this postseason. The defense stepped up and carried the day, but Joe Flacco had a lot to do with it as well. And I was wrong on Flacco. I didn't think you could win with him at this level in the playoffs. I was wrong. I still don't think he's an elite quarterback. I know that's a tired debate. I still don't think you can have Joe Flacco be your team. And I think the Ravens will find that out next season. But as far as this year goes, they've proven me wrong, and he's proven me wrong. I just don't think it's going to be much of a game on Sunday. I think the Niners will be able to push Flacco outside of the pocket. I think they'll be able to contain Ray Rice. They'll be able to hit him and hit him hard. You know, the Ravens have really physical receivers. Anquan Bolden, very physical guy, but Whitner, Goldson... At safety, will be able to come up over the top 
help out the San Francisco cornerbacks. 49ers and Ravens are very similar, but the 49ers are younger and faster and more dynamic. And I think that's ultimately the difference in the Superdome on Sunday night. Moving on, though, to our second down segment. It's the biggest off-field story of the past week. And a major topic this week is player safety. Uh, Raven safety Bernard Pollard said this week he doesn't think the NFL would be around in 30 years. Pollard said, quote, the only thing I'm waiting for, and Lord, I hope it doesn't happen, is a guy dying on the field. Pollard also said he believes the rule changes to make the game safer will eventually drive fans away. Now, President Obama said last week in an interview with the New Republic about whether or not he would let his son play football, quote, I'm a big football fan, but I have to tell you, if I had a son, I'd have to think long and hard before I let him play football. Close quote. <laughs> Figures that Obama. First he wants to take everyone's money, and now he wants to take away our football, huh? What do you got to do about this guy, huh? Come on. Now, Niners coach Jim Harbaugh responded to Obama by saying, Well, I have a four-month-old, almost five-month-old son, Jack Harbaugh, and if President Obama feels that way, then there will be less competition for Jack Harbaugh when he gets older. <laughs> Pretty nice comeback there by the coach. Now, another big facet of the story is the lawsuit involving former players who say the NFL failed to warn them about the dangers of concussions and health risks associated with playing football. That trial will begin a few weeks after the Super Bowl ends. And I think the former players have a big case there. There's a Infamous story about former Jets wide receiver Wayne Krebet, who suffered a concussion in the midst of a game and was told by a team physician who also was uh, a big voice in the NFL in terms of concussions and concussion research uh, that there is no link between concussions and permanent brain damage. Uh, whoa, way off the mark there. And you're going to tell me that 2003, only nine years ago, there wasn't a consensus in the medical community that there was a link between concussions and long-term brain damage? Come on, of course there was. The NFL simply was not upfront with their players of the previous era, and I think they'll pay for it, and pay for it big time. And it's going to be a major PR hit for the league, and that's why next season, huh, you thought this year was bad, with the defenseless receiver, late hit on the quarterback, uh, hits, with the, uh, hits with the helmet, you thought this was a bad year for that? You've seen nothing like it, man. Next year is going to be a thousand times worse in terms of calls like that because the lawsuit's going to be going on simultaneously with the NFL season, and the NFL is going to do everything it can to present the image that they now care about player safety, player safety is their number one concern, etc. So you thought it was bad this season. Buckle up, boys. It's going to be a thousand times worse next season. But... With all due respect to Mr. Pollard, I disagree with the notion that that will drive away fans. Each year, each progressive year here, we've gotten more of those kind of calls, you know, helmet hits, uh, hits with the helmet, outlawed, uh, late hits on the quarterback, not all, I can't even breathe on the quarterback, defenseless receiver. Over the past several years, progressively, the game has gone more in that direction. And each year, the game continues to get more and more popular, bringing in nearly $10 billion annually in revenue. And television ratings continue to skyrocket. Uh, the rule changes bring in more offense, and offense brings in ratings. 
the game of football isn't going anywhere, especially due to fantasy football and gambling. I mean, offense is good for fantasy football. Offense is good for the Lions in Vegas. As long as that's around and it will be around, the NFL will be fine. So I disagree with Mr. Pollard. Now, in terms of the future of youth football and, you know, look 20, 30 years down the road, you know, where is the NFL going to be? Well, you know, maybe less well-to-do suburban families will promote football in their household. You know, maybe this could be the end of Pop Warner football on Wisteria Lane. Imagine like that Desperate Housewives reference, huh? Mm. Multifaceted here on Football Nation today. Oh. Wait, it's not something to brag about, that I know something about Desperate Housewives? Oh, never mind, sorry, but the point still stands. I think this could be the end of Pop Warner football on Wisteria Lane. But plenty of kids around the country will still play. Plenty of kids will still play. Not even argue, plenty of kids in suburban towns will still play. You're going to tell me your son. Wants to play high school football. His dad played high school football. All his friends play high school football. Because I got news for you. Football players, still pretty cool. And you're going to say no? I know your friends are playing football, son. I know your dad played and wants you to play. But nah. We want you to join the math club. How about you do that after school, huh? No. Now, there are studies out there that say... Once um, a child turns 14, his or her brain is more developed and thus is less susceptible to long-term brain damage. So maybe we'll see an end to Pop Warner and youth tackle football. And then, you know, once freshman football rolls around and kids are 14, 15 years old, they'll start to learn more of the basics. And if a kid is naturally athletic, he'll pick it up quickly. It won't be a problem. Uh, maybe that's the case. You know, we're already seeing it now. You know, there are more foreign players in the NFL. Um, and, you know, these are guys who, like, go see Manure, pick it up late in life. And, you know. They're star players because they're naturally athletic. So, you know, maybe we'll see a trend in that direction. But I don't think this is the death of youth football in America. Uh, I think plenty of kids will still play, especially kids who are not in the best financial situations. The game of football can still lift them out of poverty and bring them a fortune. And if they're good at it, good enough to receive a full boat scholarship to a major school, you know, and get a free college education, make millions of dollars upon entering the draft. I still think the reward for a lot of kids out there in less-to-do areas is going to far, far outweigh the risk. So, I don't think this is the end of youth football in America. Maybe it's the end of Pop Warner football in Wisteria Lane, and maybe more suburban areas, kids will be first introduced to tackle football come high school. Maybe. But in a lot of other areas of this country, we're still going to see 8, 9, 10-year-olds bred to be football players because that's a way out. And it's more of a socioeconomic argument. I know it's not necessarily a football issue, but I think socioeconomics has a lot to do with it. I really do. And I think as long as that, fa as long as that um, factor is around, still going to see a lot of youth football being played in a lot of areas of this country because no matter what the science says, to a lot of people out there, to a lot of kids out there, to a lot of parents out there, the reward is still going to far outweigh the risk. Now, in terms of what can the game do to combat brain injuries and concussions, what can they do? You know what? I'm almost at a point where I've said 
the game has done pretty much all it can do in terms of implementing rules. Um, helmet-to-helmet collisions, or as I call them, helmet hits, leading with your helmet. Uh, I'm glad those are out of the game. To me, there is no need for that. I, I do not get enjoyment out of watching a safety just fly across the field like a bullet, taking out a defenseless receiver with his helmet. To me, there is no skill involved in that. There is, there, there's no practice involved in that. I don't need to see that. That's a punk move to me, and I'm glad that's out of the game. But how much further can we go before it pretty much becomes illegal to play defense? You know, I mean, I, those guys do have an argument. You can't hit the quarterback at all anymore. You can't hit a receiver over the middle of the field anymore. I mean, that used to be a big thing, you know, and but now the middle of the field is completely open because receivers, tight ends, they don't have to worry about getting hit. Um, so the game has done pretty much all it can do in terms of implementing rule changes unless they just make it illegal to play defense and literally put flags on him. Um, so I think we've pretty much seen it stopped in terms of new rules. Maybe next year we'll see it, again, implemented more because of the lawsuit, but the next five to ten years, I think the game has pretty much done all it can in terms of implementing rule changes. Um, they'll never be able to stop collisions at the line of scrimmage. You know, I mean, they'll never be able to stop line play between offensive and defensive linemen. And as we know, that's where a lot of these big collisions come from. That's where a lot of these head injuries come up. So they'll never be able to stop collisions at the line. Uh, where this is going is this. And, and I am so certain of this, I would almost guarantee it to you. If I were a betting man, I would bet you this. Five, ten years down the line, hell, maybe even sooner, you know, we'll see how this lawsuit goes. The NFL is going to become a waiver sport like UFC. That's ultimately where this has to go. The NFL is going to give every player a waiver. The waiver is going to say, you know, you understand the health risks and consequences associated with playing in the National Football League. You understand the links from frequent concussions to brain damage. You know, sign this and, you know, you're not giving us responsibility for what happens to you. You are accepting all responsibility of what happens to your body from here on out. And I think a lot of players will still sign that waiver. You know, I mean, this year's draft class, a lot of players still eligible for the draft, and they know the risks. Know it for the past couple of years. Kids are still playing big Division One football. Kids are still going to the NFL. But that's ultimately where this has to go. The, the NFL is going to become a waiver sport, and athletes are going to be faced with that choice. And when you got a multi-million dollar signing bonus staring you in the face, and this is all you've wanted to do since you were a little kid, Throw you all you can do, play football, you're going to play football. Uh, the league will still take directions to be safer. You know, the days of Wayne Krebet being sent back to the game with a concussion under false information are done. And I'm glad for that. Helmet hits, helmet-to-helmet collisions, done. I'm glad for that. But I think the NFL's gone as far as they can go without making it a waiver sport. And essentially waiving responsibility for what happens to players' bodies after they play. That's where this has to go. It's going to become a waiver sport like UFC. That's the only answer I can see. Now, before we go on to the third down segment, the big up slowdown segment, another thing I'd like to see addressed this offseason, and that surprisingly hasn't gotten a lot of play this Super Bowl week, even though concussions and head injuries have, is drunk driving in the league. Uh, Cowboys defensive lineman Jay Ratliff last week got arrested for drunk driving, had a blood alcohol content level of twice the legal limit, when his pickup truck hit an 18-wheeler, police said on Monday. Uh, of course, we know all the story where one of his teammates was killed by another teammate drunk driving. Earlier this season, 
Uh, how stupid, how moronic do you have to be if you're Jay Ratliff? And he should be punished severely, suspended without pay. No doubt about it. I mean, this is my biggest gripe with really all major American sports. You get suspended for smoking a little weed. But nothing for drunk driving? Really? Come on, put this guy away. Suspend him without pay. See you later. That's amazing to me. In Major League Baseball, to tie it to baseball, because again, huge baseball guy. Spring training's almost here. No, well, two and a half weeks away. No, you're all excited for that. Players get suspended for weed all the time. But not a single player in the history of Major League Baseball, at least to my knowledge, has ever been suspended for drunk driving. What's more harm what, what's more harmful? Sitting around with your friends, taking a couple hits from the bong, you know? Or drunk driving and putting your life and others in danger. I think the latter, don't you? I understand the temptation is there for a lot of these guys. You go out, have a few drinks, but we're not talking about Jay Ratliff just having a few drinks. He had a blood alcohol content level of twice the legal limit. I mean, he was probably seeing double out there, right? I mean, come on. Suspend this guy without pay. Enough with this. We spend a lot of time on concussions and head injuries, and as we should. It's a very serious issue. But drunk driving across the NFL is almost equally as serious. It's a big deal here. And I'd really like to see this addressed over the offseason months as well. It is now time for the third down segment. Here's how this works. I say a statement, then affirm my agreement or disagreement with that statement by saying big up or slow down. Big up, slow down, topic number one. And this has been a debate this week, so we'll get this out of the way to get to the more interesting stuff. Big up or slow down, the NFL should cancel the Pro Bowl. Big up. This is the easiest big up, slow down in the history of Football Nation today. Honestly. Now, Roger Goodell said he thought the Pro Bowl play improved this season. It was a 62-35 NFC win. So, yeah. Yes, I don't know what game he was watching. Uh, didn't you love, though, the fact that Jeff Saturday switched sides so he could hike the ball to Peyton Manning one last time? Oh, didn't your heart melt? What a moment. I've never watched a minute of the Pro Bowl. I never will, and I couldn't be prouder about it. Nobody likes to see this garbage. It's garbage. They don't even tackle. They stand up. Or at least that's what I've been told, because you know, I've never seen a minute of it. Honestly, make this a skills competition and be done with it. Make it, you know, the punt, pass, and kick. The long throw. You know, how, how much would you like to see the best punters in the game? You know, see if they can punt at the length of the field. Or the, you know, game's best field goal kicker. See if they can kick, you know, a 70, 80-yard field goal. Or, you know, see who has the biggest arm there. Uh, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. I mean, yeah, it would be kind of lame. But, you know, all-star games are lame to an extent. This would be more interesting than watching this garbage. So, yeah, cancel the Pro Bowl. No one even wants to be there anymore, either. He's been there once or twice. You know, people back out of it anyway. You know, I understand players to like to be named as a Pro Bowler. They have stipulations in their contracts. So, you know what? Still name Pro Bowl rosters. 53 AFC guys, 53 NFC guys. That's fine with me. So, guys get their incentives and whatnot. Just don't play the game. I don't need to see the game played anymore. So, uh, big up. The NFL should absolutely cancel the Pro Bowl, and it's, it's embarrassing. I mean, Roger Goodell's embarrassing himself, saying that play improved the season when it was a 63-35 game. Now, I mentioned at the top of the show, again, Super Bowl week, but the offseason's beginning to come around, and two big stories this year, 
in the AFC East. Number one, the Patriots and Wes Welker. Big up or slow down. Should the Patriots re-sign their free agent wide receiver? Um, I say big up here. But first of all, I want to clarify some things I said last week on the show. I caught some flack last week from an emailer for being a Brady apologist. Because I said last week that, yes, Tom Brady is 7-7 seven and seven in his last postseason games, in his last 14 postseason games, but that doesn't nearly tell the whole story. And I got an email. He or she was respectful, but, you know, they said, All right, Alex, I mean, come on, you're a Brady apologist here. What do you mean? I mean, you killed Peyton Manning a few weeks ago for losing eight out of his first, you know, 11 playoff games or, you know, losing in the first in his first playoff game eight out of 11 times and you kill Peyton Manning but you don't kill Tom Brady well so I want to clarify my stance because the biggest insult you can call me is to be an apologist for anybody I don't I don't think there are any sacred cows in this world um I say I'm not an apologist on Tom Brady uh look just look at the numbers he went 10 and 0 in his first 10 postseason games and has gone 7 and 7 in his last 14 postseason games so yeah duh okay He's performed worse his past 14 games than he did his first 10 games when he went 10-0 and won three Super Bowl titles. Um, the past few years with Brady, he'll play great in one playoff game, then not so great in the other game. This year, he lit the Texans up and then was mediocre to bad at times in the Ravens game. And Brady's three worst playoff performances have now come against Baltimore 2009, last year's AFC title game where he didn't throw a touchdown pass, and of course, this past season's. AFC title game. But my big point on the show last week was look at the Patriots offensive failures and they have been offensive failures. The best statistical offense in the NFL virtually every season since 2007 has been slowed down by a tougher, more physical defense every single season. But the offensive failures go beyond Brady. You know, the Patriots offense as a whole, I thought, got bullied at times by that Ravens defense, both physically and emotionally. The Ravens dictated how the game was played. The Patriots punted on their own 34 and 35-yard lines. They never do that. They manage the clock horribly at the end of the first half. They never make mistakes like that. That's North Turner crap. So, to me, the narrative extends beyond Brady. It goes to the whole offense. Also, the makeup of the offense has changed from those Super Bowl years. It's all on Brady now. Tom Brady didn't have a single multi-touchdown game in the 2001 playoffs. Not one. Unbelievable. And he seldom had them in the 2003 and 2004 playoffs. It can't be all on him. And for the past five to six years, it has been all on him. The Patriots added a bit more balance this season. But they abandoned that running game when the going got tough in the AFC Championship game. Third and two, they were in the shotgun, five wide. Now, that's fine. Third and two with the way the league is going is a passing down. But you don't even have the running back in the backfield once to just have the option of the run on the table, the defense to think about? Come on. They also, of course, abandoned the hurry-up offense in that game against the Ravens two weeks ago. Uh, you know, it's obvious. The NFL is a passing league. The NFL is an offensive league. But in the playoffs, we've seen it time and time again, you still need a defense to win. And a tough physical defense can stop a more finesse offense. And the Patriots offense over the past several seasons has been a more finesse offense. And it can't be that way in the playoffs. But to me, the real story in the AFC title game was the Patriots' pass defense, or lack thereof. When Aqib Tlaib went out, and Joe Flacco went in the shotgun, 
it was game over. Completely game over. The Patriots didn't have an answer to stop Joe Flacco in the Ravens' pass game. And that, to me, is the biggest issue that the Patriots now face. That pass defense, still not there yet. Not at a championship level. When it comes down to it, I still feel good about Tom Brady. I don't feel good about that pass defense. The AFC Championship game turned when Tlaib went out and Flacco went in the shotgun. The Patriots had no answer. I still feel good about Brady as the quarterback of the Patriots. I don't feel good about the pass defense. That's the issue. Back to Welker. I still feel good about Wes Welker. Yes, he's had some big drops, but he's also asked to do a lot. Here's another stat for you. No Super Bowl champion since the 2001 Patriots, actually, has had a 100-catch receiver. Welker has had over 100 catches in five of his six seasons with the Patriots. Especially at his stature, he can't be asked to do it all. And the Patriots on offense ask him to do it all. They ask him to get the key third downs. They ask him to make that big play down the field. They ask him to do it all. They need to develop another receiver who Brady can go to in big spots. We thought it would maybe be Brandon Lloyd this year. It wasn't Lloyd. He had a decent season. Certainly worked out better than Joey Galloway and Chad Ochocinco. But since Randy Moss, the Patriots have not been able to bring in another receiver to adequ adequately excuse me, compliment Welker outside the numbers. But Welker is still Brady's favorite target. And thus, the Patriots should re-sign him to a multi-year deal. They'll pay him a little less, but I think Welker also knows the value of playing with Brady. And I think if the Patriots approach him reasonably, give him a fair multi-year offer, a two-three-year deal, probably have to be a three-year deal. Put you know front-load the deal, don't backload it. But if the Patriots give Welker the come with them come to him with a reasonable offer, I still think a deal gets done. I really do because he's Brady's favorite target. The offense still runs through him. And Tom Brady's not getting any younger. You know, the Patriots should be in go-for-it-now mode. You can't let Welker slip away. He's a big part of going for it now. So, long answer, but yes, big up. The Patriots should re-sign Welker. Should be a very interesting offseason for them. We'll talk, of course, more about that next week once the Super Bowl is behind us. Other big story, also coming out of the AFC East. Big up or slow down. Should the Jets trade star cornerback Darrell Revis? Now, Revis, of course, is a free agent after the 2013 season, and he has a clause in his contract that's, which states the Jets cannot use the franchise tag on him. So it's either a long-term deal or nothing after 2013. Big up or slow down. Should the Jets trade Revis? I say big up. The Jets should trade Darrell Revis and not think twice about it. They have a lot of money tied up in the long term, as they did a poor job managing the cap backloading a lot of contracts, and as it comes down to it, the Jets aren't going to win in 2013 with or without Revis. And when Revis was out this year, their pass defense was actually pretty good. Antonio Cromartie did a nice job stepping into the number one cornerback slot. Kyle Wilson and some of those guys did a nice job filling in for Revis. The pass defense without Revis was pretty good last year. The Jets survived without him. And again, as I said, they aren't going to win in 2013 with or without Revis. It's the perfect example of a guy who is more valuable to another team than he is to you. 
Teams will pay a fortune for Revis, as pass defense is so important now. I'm looking at the Broncos. How much do you think they would have liked to have Revis in that game against Flacco three weeks ago? I'm looking at the, you know, I know it's within the division, but if the Patriots give you the best offer for Revis, if you're the Jets, why wouldn't you take it? I know it will never happen, but why wouldn't you take it? Again, you're not going to win with or without Revis. Uh, or to the NFC, team with the Green Bay Packers, telling me they wouldn't love to have Revis get a true number one corner on that side of the football. Pass defense is so important now. Teams will pay a fortune for this guy. John Nidzik has a big decision to make as Jets GM, whether or not to trade Revis. But to me, it's not all that difficult a decision. Big up. Definitely put Revis on the market. See what you can get for him, and you'll get quite a bit. Closing out the show, it's the Reamer rant. A lot of things bother me, but always one thing in regards to football bothers me in particular each week. So, end of each show, I tell you what's on my mind. And this week, it's the most intolerable Super Bowl storyline. And no, I'm not talking about the Ray Lewis retirement. Although I may be talking about the Ray Lewis steroid story, which we talked about earlier. But I'm talking about the Harbro Bowl. Now, why is this more agitating to me than the Ray Lewis retirement? Because Ray Lewis, at least, is a player. You know, and he's going to be on the field on Sunday. Jim and John Harbaugh are going to be dressed in their best little sweatsuits. And I'm not discounting the role the head coach plays. Obviously, the head coach plays a massive role in the game of football. But I'm sick and tired of hearing about a Jim and John Harbaugh are brothers. Who knew, right? I mean, guess who doesn't care how competitive their games of Connect Four were when they were five? Me. Guess who doesn't care how competitive their games of badminton were in the backyard? Me. Guess who doesn't care that their classmates always knew they would coach in the Super Bowl? Me. Guess who doesn't care who their parents' parents are rooting for? Me. Let me guess. The parents aren't going to pick a side. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome, though, if, like, you know, Mrs. Harbaugh came on TV and said, Yeah, you know, I'm going for my Johnny. Jim's kind of a dick. I'm going with John. And by the way, John is a nicer Harbaugh. I haven't met the two, but, they, but that's, what I, uh, that's what I believe, given all I've seen of them. Um, this stuff is boring. Yawn. Save it for the Today Show. You know, send, uh, send the new Katie Kirk. What's her name? Savannah Guthrie. And, boy, I'm killing it today, right? Desperate Housewives reference. Today Show reference. Killing it today. Really proving my masculinity to you. But save it for the Today Show. You know, send, send Savannah Guthrie on the Harbaugh report. I don't need to see this crap on SportsCenter. I don't need to see it on ESPN. I mean, I know they don't want to touch the Ray Lewis story, because God forbid they actually touch any real news. Even though, again, it shouldn't be news. Professional athletes cheat. Whoa, shocker. Wait, the sky's blue. But to some naive people out there, it's news. I mean, Lance Armstrong doping was, was news, supposedly. Um, but this stuff is boring. Yawn. The only thing more intolerable than this would be if Eli and Peyton play each other in Super Bowl. Oh, Lord. Thank God we'll probably never see that. But at least Eli and Peyton are players, you know? At least they're, they're, they're the quarterbacks, you know, not, 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 that, not on the sweatsuits in the sideline. Neat. The Harbaugh's are brothers. It's cool to mention once, twice, five times, 20 times. Thousand times? Don't need to hear it. Move on. I mean, if you're above the age of seven and think this is real cool, then you gotta reevaluate, man. You gotta reevaluate. It's fluff. I don't like fluff. And by the way, I bet the Harbar brothers were jerks as kids anyway.
So thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Football Nation Today podcast, episode number 35, our first full NFL season with you. As always, we want to hear your thoughts on the show. Comment on the show page on footballnation.com. Send me an email, areamer at bu.edu is my email address. Again, that's areamer at bu.edu. And also follow me on Twitter, all you kids out there, with your Twitter, at AlexReamer1 is my Twitter name. So long, everybody. Enjoy your week. Enjoy the Super Bowl weekend, 49ers-Ravens. Again, it's going to be a Niners blowout. Going to be close in the first half, but then the athleticism and the youth of the Niners will take charge over the Ravens. But that's not to take anything away from Baltimore. They've had a hell of a season and have proven a lot of people wrong along the way. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the game this Sunday. I don't want to hear about how much you like the commercials. Don't get me started on that. If you're a guy and you watch the game for the commercials, woof, man. You You probably got my Desperate Housewives reference earlier in the show. That's all I'll say. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next, next Wednesday.